Welcome, Nuno. Thank you so much for coming. Lovely to see you again in that beautiful shirt. <laughs> Makes me happy to see colour. Um, so I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about what you guys like to invest in as regards fintech. So we focus mostly on the consumer space, so B2C, B2B2C. Um, and we also invest a little bit on what I'd call software as a service and, and applications around the enterprise software space. To be honest, on the blockchain space, we actually look to the lower layer. So we look at infrastructure and platforms, uh, and we've actually made one investment in a blockchain custodian play. And so what do you see then at, in that great spot that you have as an investor as some of the current challenges for fintech companies? Well, I think there's a lot of fintech that's not really tech. It's a lot of financial services and arbitrage, you know, people playing with debit card interchanges yeah. and playing with all sorts of things that are really not tech per se. Yeah. And in that model, the issue is how do you actually create a moat? How do you avoid other people coming into the market? So that's one of the core issues that I'm seeing in the market. The second one is really uh, in particular, when you go to consumer, people go to consumer, they think about their tech, they think about their products, they think about their they think about it a little bit like a financial services company, but they forget they're actually a consumer company. Yeah. And acquiring customers and getting customers on board and getting them to adopt your services is a really complex issue, in particular in a very noisy environment. Yeah. It's very costly in financial services in general. Yeah. And so I'd say that's probably the second issue that I see the most uh, prevalent in the market right okay. now. And so what's your personal vision of where we're going as regards the fintech um, domain? And obviously, if you guys invest in crypto and blockchain, you, you, you can enlarge on that. Maybe leaving blockchain and crypto for just for the, for the time being, I think just in the broad sense of what's happening in this space, it's actually very confusing what's happening. Um, you know, people talk about the bundling and unbundling of services that happens back and forth in specific sub-industries and industries. And the problem with financial services and fintech is there's unbundling and bundling happening at the same time. You have people that are trying to serve end consumers and customers with something that unifies all their visions and views on how they invest, spend, and, uh, and look at their money. Yeah. But at the same time, you have people that are totally unbundling it and saying, no, there's a corporate card. We focus on corporate cards or we're just focusing, for example, on a wellness service that comes from basically the usage of your services, et cetera, et cetera. So at the same time, I think it's actually a very noisy market. It's, there's a lot of complexity around what's happening. Um, but I'm very bullish about it. I think we are ready for very significant disruptions to some of the existing financial players. Um, and on the other hand, we have some financial players that are sort of adopting technologies and are trying to come into this and, and get the right angle of entry um, as, as a path to innovation for themselves. And how do you see the crypto blockchain affecting the fintech domain? I, I think there's been a lot of conversations around it. Um, Funnily enough, I think the financial services industry might be uh, probably one of the core adopters of blockchain technologies. And forgetting the crypto assets for a second, obviously there will be a lot of use for them, stable coins, there's been a lot of discussion recently around it. Um, we see some of the big proponents like Fidelity and others looking at this space and really you know, investing and, and spending time and putting money to deploy around blockchain. So I do think if we look at an industry that will likely adopt blockchain, this is clearly one of them. Um, we see also that there will be a lot of demands on infrastructure and platforms. That's why we actually, for example, made an investment in the blockchain custodian space, because clearly there's a need to have a custodian infrastructure, which today does not exist for the crypto world. Um, and so I think the, the opportunities are actually pretty immense in this space and sort of the crossroads of blockchain with, with financial services. Right. And um, the SEC's made a few moves in the past week that um, is uh, 
terrifying a lot of people, I'd say, yes. um, with STOs, ICOs and IEOs. So um, what do you think about what's going to happen in that area? I think regulation was needed. Um, in some ways, I, I compare where, where we are at, in particular the A-Day of 2017 to maybe the late 2018 time which was very comparable to the far west of the internet yes. in the mid-90s for those who sort of went through it. Yeah. And and I think there was need for regulation. Someone needed to come in and right. say, you can't have 95% of the stuff that's just fraud. Yeah. And they're saying it's not securities, but it is, yes. et cetera, et cetera. I think in that there's been a little bit, you know, very clear, you know, positioning by the SEC on a couple of things. It's just issued also now views on airdrops and a couple of other things and guidance on what they mean. I think that's that's good because once there's clarity on the rules of the game, I think a lot of things get really, really um, clear to the overall environment. There'll be some winners and losers out of these regulations for sure, so I have no doubt about that. But I think regulations in general are, are a positive means for this industry to become accepted and understood by, by the regular consumer, by investors actually even, yes. and by a few other participants in the market. I know I saw a lot of um, investors that I know who came and paid as attendees to a lot of my events in 2018, and I was amazed. I've never seen them actually pay and come to learn, so that was great. It's it's still a little bit the land of the blind in some ways, and I yes. think it's the land of the blind because if you look at what blockchain's doing, it is a technology first play. It's almost like the equivalent of a protocol. It's like you're putting TCP/IP together, yes. and you're saying this will solve some issue, and people yes. are like, why? Yes. Uh, and unless you're an engineer and you're deep into it, an engineer probably with some strong mathematical background, it's sometimes difficult to understand what it actually stands for. Yes. So it's one of those areas that I think will get will get simplified more and more through time, where there's going to be a lot of infrastructure and platforms that get created to simplify then what I would call sort of the app economy that will come later. Yeah. Um, and so I'm, I'm bullish on it long term. I'm very bearish short term. So I spend time in the market. I look at a lot of companies, but I, I actually don't invest very actively. But I do think the long term is there um, to be taken. Right. Well, thanks again for coming, and I'm looking forward to the panel. Thank you. My pleasure. Welcome, Michael. So good to see you again. I was wondering if you'd tell me a bit about what you guys at Broadhaven are investing in at the moment. Yeah, so at Broadhaven, we are uh, seed and Series A stage fintech investors. Uh, we invest globally, uh, mainly with a focus on United States, uh, Latin America, and we have companies in Israel and Europe as well. Uh, majority of our portfolio tends to be US and LATAM companies since we spend a lot of time with our companies and, and like to be able to get to places where we can fly easily and actually be on the ground, sit on boards, things like that. Right, right. And what sort of fintech are you investing in? Yeah, so we, we invest in both uh, consumer fintech and enterprise fintech. Um, I think we uh, initially, kind of a few years ago, saw uh, fintech uh, and incumbent partnerships being a key theme. I think over time, you've seen that be a little bit less the case, uh, where fintechs are trying to do it, kind of go alone. Uh, build standalone large businesses. So I think that that's why it's important to have consumer fintech companies in the portfolio. And that's where you can create large amount of enterprise value. But we still see a ton of value in enterprise. And we certainly like the SMB space a lot. I think both in US and LATAM, there's massive markets to do things like bank the small business, um, provide accounting software to them, uh, provide financial services, whether it's lending, corporate cards, all sorts of things. Um, so and, and kind of the entry point can be either a software product or a SaaS product or a financial product like a lending product. Um, so I think we're, we're pretty excited about, uh, as, with regards to the enterprise space, SMB when it comes to fintech. And where do you see the issues for fintech at the moment? Yeah, so I think this is probably a more more global point rather than just fintech. Yep. Uh, it does 
not just related to the fintech ecosystem, but I think valuations are pretty high, generally speaking. I, um, I think that that's just a symptom of where venture is in the cycle right now. Um, you see a lot of companies, um, particularly on the consumer side, be be valued pretty highly um, relative to traction they may have. And I think um, I think that that's going to be kind of let, let's see how that plays out. I think the other thing about fintech um, when, when I see kind of issues in the fintech space are uh, you know or questions that I have about the fintech space or where, you know, where are a lot of these consumer fintech plays going to go, particularly in the U.S.? Um, so you have a lot of de novo digital banks being created. You have a lot of companies trying to create debit cards or credit cards and really own the customer. Um, I'm curious to see how that'll play out just because I think there's a ton of competitors in the space. Uh, you need a lot of money. You need the regulatory aspect of things. Um, so I, not, not sure how the consumer side of fintech space will play, the consumer side of fintech will play out, particularly in the U.S. And what's your personal vision of, of where you think things are going as regards fintech in the future? So in the U.S., I think um, I, I think I'll speak to the fact that I think everything is becoming fintech. Um, so you have a lot of brands. Lyft, for example, created a, a debit card product for drivers and almost like a bank um, or financial services products. So I think what you'll see in the U.S. and then also in less developed markets is that there's going to be a lot of companies that end up not starting out as fintech companies, that, but that end up as fintech companies. So uh, I think what that means is, A, there's going to be really interesting infrastructure businesses that get started to power companies or brands that become fintechs, mm -hmm. uh, enable them to offer a lending product um, or a bank account or a debit card or payroll advance, something like that. So I could see a lot of major brands mm -hmm. that own the customer mm -hmm. end up wanting to own the customer in their financial life as well. Mm -hmm. um, and using back-end infrastructure providers to do that. And you have incumbent banks that are thinking about this as well. There's some very innovative incumbent banks, NBKC, Evolve Bank and Trust uh, in, in Tennessee, uh, Bancorp. So I think that'll be a really interesting thing to see how that plays out. Um, and and I, I view it as kind of like everything can become a fintech company because financial services touches so many aspects of people's lives. Yeah. And then I think in Latin America where we invest a lot, I think that theme is even more protracted. And, and our view in Latin America actually is that many of the non-fintech companies are the ones that will become the fintech companies. Because in, in, some, in some cases, like in Asia, where kind of you have these super app platforms, I think in Latin America, you're seeing a lot of companies that have high frequency usage models, whether it be delivery apps like Rappi, they have Rappi Pay, um, you know, scooter and bikes or mobility businesses like Grin Yellow, which is now a business called Grow Mobility. Um, I think businesses like that uh, have the ability to touch the customer in so many ways, and they can then end up offering financial services and banking products mm. to end up serving an entirely underserved set of customers, 400 million unbanked people in Latin America. So I think that's going to be a really interesting theme when it comes to Latin America is non-fintechs becoming fintechs. Fantastic. Oh, well, thanks for enlightening me. Um, I'm looking forward to the panel. I'm sure I'm going to find out more. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me, Pima. Appreciate it. Lovely to meet you, Arjuna. Thank you so much for coming tonight. I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about what you guys at Flourish are focused on as regards fintech. Sure. Thanks for having me, Pema. It's a real pleasure to be here. Um, Flourish is a venture fund that focuses on backing mission-oriented entrepreneurs across the globe who are working on issues of financial wellness and economic opportunity for the mass market. And we invest in the U.S., in Latin America, Asia, and Sub-Saharan Africa. And is there any particular focus as regards fintech or any type of fintech uh, startups that you're looking at? Um, no, we, we are entirely backed by 
Pierre and Pam Omidyar, who are the founders of eBay. Okay. Um, so we're, in essence, a single LP fund. And okay. I use the word fund loosely because we are a permanent capital vehicle. Okay. So we can be very flexible about the type of ideas we back. Right. We really think about this notion of systemic change. So how do we build a financial services system that is fairer and accessible and works on behalf of the entire population? Um, so from that lens, we're very focused on these ideas around financial wellness. You know, for a long time, the sector thought about this idea of financial inclusion, which in some ways was a very binary view of the world, right? You're either included in the system or excluded in the system. What we're gradually realizing is that even if you're included in the system, a large percentage of the population is still financially vulnerable. They're under a lot of financial stress. Fortunately, today, at the intersection of some of the amazing work done in building sort of technology solutions, as well as um, real deep user research, like understanding consumer pain points, being able to design against that, iterating, building in behavioral nudges, and the, at the intersection of the technology and that understanding and that design, I think there's a lot of really exciting ideas coming up that really can build towards this idea of financial health, looking at an individual or household, a small business, holistically and thinking about the set of products and services they need to lead a successful, flourishing financial life. And I have a personal um, focus on that myself and that's why I've got involved in fintech <clears throat> because um, when I got divorced, I had three little children in Australia and none of the banks would give me a credit card um, mm. even because I was working for myself. I had my own business and three dependents um, and my ex-husband wasn't paying me anything. Wow. So um, I just thought it seemed so unfair. And, uh, and when I first came here, I did a project on why women are fu funded less than men um, in the first year. And I interviewed um, the, the woman that started Dermalogica via Skype. And wow. she was great because she was doing um, a micro fund for women on Kiva at the time. Mm -hmm. And um, she said that women are actually more payback loans much more than men do. Absolutely. And I said, well, why would, you know, we be, be sort of sidelined that way? And, you know, so I really feel like um, just even being a woman has been a difficult, uh, particularly if you've got dependents, um, has been difficult in the whole financial sector. And it should not be yeah. <laughs> when we are such good loan repayers. <laughs> um, the whole history of microfinance has proven that women are the best credit risk, right? Yeah, it, and it's very clear from experience across the globe. Mm. Um, and what we often forget, Pimo, is that men and women often play different roles in a household and in a household's finances. Yes. And therefore, the products and services you need for them are actually quite different. As, yeah. as you talked about, right, You're, you were in a very different life situation. Yes. And what we might think of as a as a product might need it to be tailored for your particular situation. Mm. Um, but there isn't that sort of flexibility it's not, in the incumbents. Well, yes, and that's, that's I think, the big opportunity yes. for FinTech, right? Yes. Is to A, understand the nuances and needs, yes. and then to design against those needs, and then build, and then rapidly prototype, you know, go back to the customers, get the feedback, come back again. Yes. Just if you'll permit me a little anecdote, um, we, I, I was doing some conversations in, the mar in a market in Kenya, and we were talking to this household. 
she ran a small um, illicit liquor bar behind the house. He had a nine to five job. They got busted by the police. He chose to go and spend overnight in prison because she had all the deep networks that was going to go and get the bail money, right? There's no formal bail system. Yes. It was entirely about social networks. Right. So he had a very different social network. He was constantly looking to move up the corporate ladder. Interesting. Her social network was going horizontally and thinking yes. about who she could rely on yes. when she needed money. Yes. This yes. is just one anecdote, and it's yes. far from sitting in Silicon Valley, but it yes. starts to tell you that we can't think of a household as a monolith, and, and within that household, different people have different roles to play. Yes. I think um, it's much more humanising when, when we start to break things down like that. And uh, obviously that's what we all are, humans. So yes. fantastic. Um, so tell me what you see are the major challenges at the moment in the fintech domain as regards where you're sitting as an investor. Um, so we actually look across the globe and the, and the nature of the challenges tend to vary mm. by market. Uh, Pema. So some markets, um, like Sub-Saharan Africa, you see there's just a lack of capital. There's a lack of mentorship uh, for tech businesses and fintechs in particular, yeah. because a lot of people see financial services as an easily monetizable service compared to some of the other tech businesses, yeah. right? So you see a lot of activity, yet there's a gap in financing and mentorship and growth. Um, certain other markets have regulatory challenges. So there's either stringent regulation or more often than not, there's unclear regulation. So as a fintech building a business, you don't exactly know what the rules of the game are and you're often in until a- they come Until they come crazy. Yeah, so how much time are you willing to spend in a gray zone, yeah. right? So I think that that's some of the challenges. And then um, one of the basic things is we're creatures of habit. Yes. It's really hard to get me to switch my bank account. Right. Right, it's so entrenched in my life yes. that even though there might be a, a different option out there, yeah. it's hard to make that switch. So I think um, initiatives like open banking and portability of banking data mm. will really level the playing field for fintechs. Right. Now, I think the flip side of that is right now fintechs, the banks will argue the fintechs are being lightly regulated as as tech companies and when there's you know heavier regulation how will they compete so there's i, I think there's a lot of questions out yeah. there around yeah. how the market will evolve and find an equilibrium right so you have to be willing to take the risk to be a, a, uh, an entrepreneur <laughs> absolutely and i think that's what i think i'm very lucky to be part of flourish and have the backing of the omidyar family because yes. we're a we're a we're an investment entity backed by an entrepreneur for other entrepreneurs, yes. right? So we recognize the challenges. We yes. know this is not easy. It's not a short-term yes. yes. win. So we can be patient. We can bring all of the sort of ancillary services that you need to build a startup. Yes. Um, and there's a small sort of pool of capital we set aside to work on policy issues, regulatory issues, to be uh, to you know, back thought leaders and doing research, which we do through a very small um, grant funding pool, because we believe that in a regulated industry, you need to engage across the ecosystem yes. to even help your fintechs be successful. Yeah. And these are some of the ingredients that we believe are missing from 
you know, the broader debate around helping fintechs thrive. Fantastic. So tell me, what's your personal vision of where we're going with the fintech domain? <laughs> wow. Um, I'd love to think about fintech um, in 10 years as really helping you not just solve the problem of optimally managing your money, but helping you think about how to create greater economic opportunity and economic growth, right? Because that's really the, that's our big challenge, lovely, right? Yeah. Um, and I think we have the tools and services today to help you um, holistically understand your finances. But I think what we're seeing across the globe is um, people just don't have enough income flowing in. Yet there are so many opportunities to optimize for your time, your, your intellectual capital and your human capital. So I'd love for us as a tech industry to start solving those problems that twinned with fintech writ large can actually allow everyone in society to thrive. So glad you're an investor in Silicon Valley. <laughs> Thanks so much for coming and I'm looking forward to the panel. Thank you for having me and I'm, I hopefully we'll continue this and Definitely. touch on this and many other issues Definitely. shortly. Thank, Thank you. Welcome, Matt. Lovely to meet you. Thank I was wondering if, if you could tell me a little bit about what you guys at Montage Ventures invest in as regards fintech. Yep. So Montage Ventures is an early stage venture fund based out of Menlo Park. Uh, we invest primarily in seed stage and Series A companies, um, you know, and really help lean in in the early days with growth, sales, marketing partnerships uh, to, to help give those investors leverage and to really help get them to the next round. Right. So if we come in at a seed stage, we want to de-risk that business for the Series A investors right. and hopefully get them to that A as quick as possible at the best valuation possible. And so we invest in three core areas. The biggest area is fintech, which we'll talk about today. We also do some consumer health investing, uh, as well as some consumer and marketplaces. Right. And um, from your great perspective as an investor, what do you see as some of the issues at the moment in the fintech domain? Yeah, so I've been in fintech before it was called fintech. Uh, I was at E-Trade in 2000, okay. and E-Trade was one of the early pioneers yeah, in disrupting the brokerage industry, right? It was, we had a, a tagline, a boot your broker, right? You can do it yourself. And that was in the dot-com boom yes. and bust, and I was there from 2000 to 2006. So it was a very interesting time to see how kind of a, a dot-com player could really transform an industry. Yes. Um, and so that was the early days of fintech. It's since evolved, right? And and Fintech goes through phases, right? So kind of the first wave that everyone's calling out was really the lending revolution, right? More peer-to-peer, -peer, so your prospers, your lending clubs, your on-deck, which we've seen some exits there and some IPOs. Um, it then evolved into um, stock trading again with the Robin Hoods of the world. Uh, you then had the uh, insurance innovation that came through, right? So the insure tech craze. Uh, now you're having more challenger banks enter, right? So the Chime banks of the world, Moneyline, which is one of our portfolio companies, Aspiration, which was on my, my past funds companies, uh, which are driving more innovations in the core banking stack. But right. what's quite interesting, when you look at FinTech, there's this interesting display of Wells Fargo's website, and they have about 360 products on the website, right? And FinTech players are literally going after every single product that they have, both on the consumer side, on the B2B side, on the enterprise side. Um, and so today we've now seen, you know, lending has since calmed a little, right? There's still plenty of great opportunities in that space. Uh, we've seen a, a big wave in real estate technology, or which is now called PropTech. It's a subset 
sector of fintech. Uh, and then construction technology is another interesting area that fits within it as well. Right, so uh, it's it always goes in phases, and so as an investor, you have to be have enough foresight to be on that next phase in advance, um, so that you're yeah, not left behind. Yourself, That's right. Really. That's right. So tell me, um, do you guys uh, invest in the blockchain crypto space at all? Because um, I sort of have to have my feet yeah. in both worlds. Of course. So I've I've been uh, personally in the crypto space since 2010. Um, I was one of the the co-founders of Lemon Wallet, uh, which became one of the earlier Bitcoin wallets and morphed into Zappo, uh, which Wences is the was the co-founder of Lemon and is the founder of Zappo. So very long Bitcoin um, from a global perspective, from a domestic perspective, there's not enough use cases for Bitcoin in the United States and consumers here don't quite understand the power of it, right, from a store of wealth and a monetary value. Uh, whereas if you go to Argentina, you go to Brazil, you go to various different LATAM countries yeah. where their currencies have literally dropped overnight, they see the value, right? Yeah. It puts control back in their hands okay. of their money that they've worked so hard for, yeah. right? Whereas they're, they're used to a, a, an economy where it could disappear without any control on their part, right? right. So, you know, I, I divide Bitcoin and blockchain into two separate areas. Obviously, blockchain is an enabling technology for Bitcoin, mm -hmm. uh, but we actually see blockchain more as an enabling technology or next-gen technology for most businesses, right? It's a distributed ledger, it's a distributed database. Uh, a lot of companies can leverage that to be more efficient. Um, companies, you, you could also argue that there are pure blockchain companies because the infrastructure does have to get set up, but after that, that, which we've already seen it occur, I see this more as an enabling technology for most companies outside of fintech as well. Yeah. So I'm very long blockchain. Um, cryptocurrencies, you know, we'll see. We'll see. I am a holder of cryptocurrencies okay. and I'm the, and holding that for a while. Okay. And uh, of course, the SEC has been making some sharp moves in the last week <laughs> that's going to certainly put a damper on a lot of STOs and yeah. IEOs and yeah. ICOs. That's right. So we'll see how that plays out. So tell me, uh, from your perspective as an investor, what how do you see um, things moving in fintech in the future? Mm -hmm. Or what's your fantasy about what you'd like to see? Yeah, so you know, there's always other areas of fintech to explore, right? 360 products on Wells Fargo. There's plenty of opportunities. Um, we're getting really excited about this this thesis that we have called vertical banking. Okay. Um, so the idea of identifying a target audience and building products that support them, right, or surround them. So in my last fund, which was RenRen, which was a large corporate venture fund, we were the early investors into SoFi. SoFi was helping, they called Henry's, higher earning not rich yet, refinance their graduate student loans. But then from there, they were offering mortgages, personal loans, auto loans, various other things, right? So you could argue that was one of the early vertical banks yes. that built products specifically around their customer set. Uh, we backed an interesting company called Lendever, and Lendever is helping practice owners, so dentists, vets, eye doctors that own a practice, sell their practice and have the 35-year-old come in and buy that practice, right? So zero defaults on the paper. This is, Dentists don't really go out of business, right? Okay. It's a great, a great paper for a bank to underwrite, but they also need certain products and services, right, on the personal side and the business side. And so we see that as another interesting area that we can see a lot of innovation come through. Um, I do think it's still early days in prop tech, early days in construction tech. Um, we also, you know, think there's a lot of room still on the infrastructure side, um, you know, just helping make the existing institutions better 
better customer experience, better back office technology, better for data and cybersecurity and all of these aspects. And I see fintechs really coming in and solving that. Right. And just one last question. I'm interested because um, I came, I'm originally Australian, but I came mm -hmm. from Ireland, um, had a business in Ireland and London. Um, really interested in the slow uptake here mm -hmm. because I was like following Bitcoin yeah. 2008 yeah. and thinking, yay, you know, this is going to disrupt totally. the incumbents. But here it yeah. really, I mean, I had a panel in 2013. I couldn't keep the press out, but, you know, mm -hmm. not a lot of people turned up. So uh, I'm interested in why this is, and everyone's got a different perspective. Yep. What's your idea? Yeah, so I think if you did the same thing in Latin America, everyone would be there, yeah. right? Because penetration is very deep. Yeah. Um, same in Asia. And same in Asia Europe as well. And yeah. Australia. <laughs> you know, the dollar is the common currency, right? Everything's based off the dollar. Okay. And so we don't have much inflation, right? Or deflation. Okay. And so it's very steady and stable. Therefore, consumers aren't concerned about the dollar dropping in half tomorrow. Okay. Right. They may be concerned about their portfolio or investments dropping in half with a recession, but the dollar is somewhat stable in the eyes of the American consumer. And so why would they look to something else unless there was a use case mm -hmm. that the dollar couldn't meet? Mm -hmm. Right. And you could argue gold is not meeting its full use case at this point in time. And so this could be digital gold, uh, which that may very well be the use case. Right. I think remittances, uh, moving money internationally is a prime use case for it. Yes. And you are seeing more adoption from that perspective. Okay. Thank you so much yeah. for your perspective and great. I think this panel will be really interesting. Thank I agree. you. Great. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs>